You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Today's episode's a really exciting one. It's where you get to ask questions. You've already submitted them. So we have wonderful guests today. Uh, Stephanie Scott is here and Lori Cox, and I'd like them both just to take a moment and introduce themselves and tell, tell us a little bit about what you do and, and why you love it. <laughs> Thanks, CJ. This is Stephanie Scott. I'm the VP over AAPC Audit Services. I have been with AAPC and Healthicity now coming up eight years. Yeah. Um, so this wow. January will be eight years. I absolutely love what I do. I love working for these two organizations. I love working with the clients and helping them with their audit programs and assisting them in, in getting that work done. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. We work with so many different types of organizations and, and people. It, it makes it very well worthwhile. Yeah, it's neat when you can get exposure to lots of different types and organizations and people have different uh, you know, needs and those sorts of things. So thank you, Stephanie, for joining. And Lori, welcome. Hi, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. My first podcast ever, so I'm super excited. I'm Lori Cox. I am one of the regional directors here at APC Services. Been here about two years now. Um, I do a lot of the training and education for our clients, as well as um, doing physician encoder training and education. I'm also uh, the member relations officer for AAPC's National Advisory Board, so I get to speak at conferences and I get to go out um, and travel and meet our AAPC members. So, yes, I love being um, part of, just like Steph said, part of both of these organizations. It's really great. Great. Well, thank you for, for joining us. And I don't know if I introduced myself. I don't think I did, but you probably recognize my voice if you've been listening to the podcast. I am CJ Wolf. I'm Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. Today's topic, I think, is a really special one because we we often, and Stephanie and Laura, you often are getting questions. And so we thought, and sometimes it's hard to respond to all those questions. And we thought, let's let's set aside some dedicated time and answer your questions. So what we've done is we've collected some questions that people have submitted um, about coding and, and billing and those sorts of topics. And we're, that's how we're going to proceed today. And we're going to get expert uh, answers and advice from Stephanie and Lori. So the first question comes from Kathy, and she asks, is documentation of a previous allergic reaction to a drug uh, allowed to be used under the review of systems for allergies, or is it only utilized in PMH, past medical uh, history? I think, Lori, maybe we'll let you try to take a stab at that first. What do you you think about that? Yep. So um, I have a couple thoughts on this. Let's remember that the review of systems is supposed to be the provider asking the patient questions um, about their signs and symptoms as related to their chief complaint. So it's really going to fall back to what is the patient here for today? Are they here for 
um, a possible allergic reaction to a drug. For example, maybe they were prescribed a new medication and they're having some sneezing or some coughing. Um, so the provider is going to ask them if they've had any allergic reactions to drugs in the past. So in that context, I would count it as review of systems if it directly relates to the patient's chief complaint. But if the patient is there for something, let's say, along the lines of diabetes or a neoplasm or something, um, and it's really documented more towards the past history, then that's how I would count it is the patient has had an allergic reaction to penicillin um, right. in the past, then I'm going to count that as history, not so much as review of systems. Gotcha. So the context is, is important there. Stephanie, do you have okay, anything sorry. that... I, I totally agree with Lori's response. Cool. Great. 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 Thank you for that, for that information. Our second question comes from Adriana, and she asks, if the physician states, quote, same or unchanged from last visit, end quote. So that kind of phrase we see a lot, same or unchanged from last visit. So physician states that um, for history and review of system items, what credit should be given? Will the physician receive credit for reviewing the last visit information, or should the statement not be considered since um, there's no indication of specific dates? This is a great question because there's actually two opposite answers. Oh, okay. It really depends on the timing of that data service, when that data service occurred. Because if we look back at the CMS documentation guidelines, it would require that the physician, if the, if, if the physician was going to reference anything in past family social history review of systems, mm -hmm. the documentation needed to include when that past history and review of systems was taken and if there were any changes or not. Okay. Okay. However, since the CMS update for 2019 changed, so if we re remember that CMS wanted to lift that documentation burden off the physicians, this was one area that they made that requirement. It's no longer required for the physician to uh, document at that level of detail of when and what um, history and review systems they're referencing. All they need to simply say at this point in time is that they did review um, that information. Okay. And I actually pulled the um, the E&M guidelines from CMS. Okay. And I, I, let me read that for yeah. just a minute. It says, if the information is already documented, the billing practitioner can review the information, update or supplement it as necessary, and indicate in the medical record that he or she did so. Okay. So it, it doesn't say much. Right. right. It doesn't say they have to say they updated or okay. that there were any changes, just simply that they did review that information. Yeah. Very interesting. Lori, anything that you'd like to add on that one? No, that was the perfect answer. Great. All right. This next one comes from Melissa, and I'm, it, it's a little bit of a scenario. So I'm going to just kind of describe a scenario first and then get to the specific question. So kind of bear with me a little bit as I try to try to imagine this scenario. So a patient comes in for an acute problem. Let's say it's an earache. Um, the provider doesn't mention it in the review of systems, but has findings in the exam. Um, but besides using otitis media as a diagnosis, the physician also adds chronic diagnoses 
in the assessment, stating that they are either stable or uncontrolled, um, you know, making the visit a higher level than if only the diagnosis of otitis media was there. So that's kind of the scenario. The specific question then is, if the provider states stable or uncontrolled in the assessment, should the coder or biller use uh, those diagnoses? Wouldn't adding chronic conditions to an acute visit kind of be overarching or overreaching? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Lori, let's start with you. So this is a good question because we get this asked of us quite quite a bit. Um, so first of all, we, uh, we as coders, auditors, billers, we want our providers to document the very best of the very best. And um, sometimes we forget that that's really not why they're there. They're there to treat the patients. So we cannot make a determination. Um, we're not a clinician. We're not in the office with them. So we cannot say um, that a provider did or did not address the chronic conditions. If, if they're listed in the assessment and plan, um, we need to take that as consideration that, yes, the provider did address those chronic conditions. He likely had a reason to do so. What if he's prescribing the patient uh, medication for their otitis media, but it might react to something else that they're taking, or it might change their diabetes, for example. Perhaps this is a steroid that's going to change their blood sugar, something along those lines. Right. So we need to remember that it's not up to us to determine medical necessity. Um, now, certainly, we do not want our providers to beef up their documentation just to get a higher level of service, right? TJ, right. that's more of a compliance. Um, but it, again, we have to say, okay, if it's addressed in the assessment and plan, then our understanding needs to be that the provider addressed it for whatever reason, and we're going to allow it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, a lot of providers, are, you know, they're thinking of multiple things. So when you um, a patient comes in for otitis media, that's not looked at in the vacuum. I mean, you have to consider, does this patient have other conditions? Because your treatment, right. your considerations, you know, review of systems, all that, well, that might be related to a different chronic condition. So I think that's really good, good advice. Stephanie, what do you think? Here's another thought. What if this provider is per, um, participating in a risk adjustment program um, documenting for yeah. MIPS and MACRA. Right. And what if this patient had not come in in their regular um, visit cycle right. for these chronic problems yeah. and wanted to do a thorough job since the patient patient Patient's did there. present? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're going to see those extra, oh, by the way, elements or that point. physician wanting to make sure that he, is, yeah. he or she is providing the quality care and addressing those chronic problems. Yeah. That's a great point, you know. Think of us, just think of yourself as a patient for a moment. When you go in, you're like, oh, I'm here for an earache. Oh, but by the way, doctor, what about my refill on this or that? So you you take, ad, you take advantage of your time there, and so that needs to be considered. Good, good comments. For sure. Okay. Um, this next uh, kind of question and, and discussion comes from Carol. And it seems like that their practice or that maybe their department, they're discussing medical necessity, medical decision-making, and this concept of two out of three components, um, and that medical decision-making is one of those two 
for Medicare to determine the level of service. So, you know, this is probably in the context of maybe an established patient visit when you only need two of three key components. Um, and they're thinking and they're discussing, do we require, should we require medical decision-making be one of those two if it's, a, for example, a Medicare patient? Um, Carol says she knows there's a difference and she knows that medical necessity is the overarching criteria, but aren't the three areas for medical decision-making decision make up the medical decision-making? In other words, so AMA or CPT states two out of three. So actually you could bill higher, you know, just if you're going strictly from CPT based on those two, right? If you had a comprehensive uh, history and comprehensive exam, but maybe the medical decision-making is low. So they're, you know, they're thinking about this and could you bill that 99215 instead of a 99213? And she's asking, but she think, or she thought Medicare audits that the medical decision making is one of those components. They'd like to know if there's anything in writing that states that that's the way they should audit. So, um, Steph, we're going to start with you. Yeah, there actually is. There's two different places that you can look. You can pull up the official... 1995-1997 E&M guidelines, you know, that 56-page document. Yep, yep. And if you look at the, the first couple of pages, it actually has a statement here that the volume of the documentation should not be used to determine the specific level. Right. Right. And then it goes on and, and talks about um, the medical necessity of it. You can also look at the Medicare manual. If you look at the internet online version, um, they actually have a couple of really good statements there, which they reiterate that, that the volume of the documentation shouldn't be the primary influence upon the specific level of the E&M service. Okay. Okay. Um, they go on to say that medical necessity cannot be qualified by using a coding point system. Okay. That there are lots of different factors that can come into play when a physician's trying to look at that medical necessity, um, like the clinical judgment. So yeah. that clinical thought process that the doctor has to go through, kind of like what we talked about in the previous question. Right. Um, standards of, of care, you know, um, depending on how what the patient presented for, what are those medical standards of care? Um, and that may include capturing a full... Uh, history and, and a full examination. Um, why does the patient need to be seen? The stability and acuity of the patient, the patient's comorbidities, those yeah, other chronic conditions that, that the patient has, and then what the management is. So all of those things are going to factor into why perhaps the, the providers documenting a, a comprehensive service. Yeah, you know, it makes me think, because I've had people ask me before, you know, uh, the chief complaint was just a headache. Headaches can never be a level five. And, you know, I don't agree. There may be scenarios where headaches, it may be true that most headaches don't turn out to be that, but there are scenarios. And the scenario I often give people is, let's say it's an elderly woman with a unilateral headache, but she also has a past medical history of polymyalgia rheumatica, which is a condition of the joints. But headache when it's associated with somebody who has that underlying condition, can actually be temporal arteritis, and people can go blind from that. So that automatically brings your risk levels and, and your medical decision-making as far as like a medical necessity. You know, this could be a very urgent situation. But the, pe the person could have just come in and said, I have a headache. Yeah, I, so I was... 
you know, there's examples where it's, you just can't say always this chief complaint is going to be. Absolutely. I was a coder in a hospital emergency room for years, and there were oftentimes patients would come in complaining of the headache. Yeah. And some of the keywords we would look for as a coder would be the worst headache they've life. ever yes, had. exactly. Right? Because then all of a sudden, I think, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, CJ, that physician's thinking stroke. Yeah. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some sort of hemorrhage or some mm-hmm. sort of um, aneurysm even. And, those, and they have to rule those things out. You know, because if you don't, and some people, sometimes I've heard coders say, yeah, but 99% of the time that's not the case. No, but they're not working on that. They're working on the one case when it is the, when it is the case, right? The nature of the presenting yes, problem. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Lori, do you have any thoughts on that question or this discussion? Um, just, to, just to add on to that, um, remember that in 2021, the guidelines are changing and really the doctors are going to pick their level of service based on the medical decision-making, right? The history and exams aren't going to apply as much as they do now. So if your company is saying that the MDM has to be the two of the three, that's likely because they're going along the lines of eventually um, we're not going to have the two of the three or the three of the three. It's going to be medical decision-making based. So this is a good time to start educating your providers. Hey, the MDM is very important. That's a great point, thinking into the future and those regs and, and how those are changing. Thanks for adding that. The, the next question is kind of, I think, a continuation of this discussion. It comes from Kathy, and they she states that they made an organizational decision to use medical decision-making as one of those key components when leveling visits. In, in their scenario, this is not a requirement of our Medicare contractor, WPS. There are times when, based on the presenting problem, I am completely comfortable leveling the visit based on the history and exam details. Your input is appreciated on this topic. So I I think we've maybe covered some of that already, but any other thoughts on that particular uh, scenario, Lori? Um, We do do see this. In fact, I was working with a client today that uh, an issue like this came up, um, and then the context was pregnancy. So um, in their context, their Medicaid requires them to bill all their pregnancy visits separately instead of a global mm. maternity okay. care. So they're billing their maternity visits based on their level of service. So think about um, pregnancy, for example. They might have a expanded problem-focused history and exam, but if it's a normal pregnancy, really, then you end up with one established, you know, stable condition, condition which... It comes to straightforward, and so if they're requiring the MDM to be two of the three, then they end up with a nine nine two and two. And I don't feel like any of us think that pregnancy is a, a straightforward, shouldn't have even come to see the doctor type of thing, right? It's it's usually a three or so. So gotcha. you have to take into consideration the whole picture, um, not just the two of the three but um, looking at the whole note as a whole. And then what we do and what they might be able to institute is something along the lines of a comment. Like if they're auditing and and they're saying, okay, yes, the the MDM is straightforward, but the nature of the presenting problem supports a level three, then perhaps they they could make some kind of a comment like that on their audit report. And then I would imagine what would happen is that their providers would come back the organization and say, why are you downcoding all of my levels? This is not right. a level two, right? So right. We've seen that 
before, and that's one of the downsides of using MDM as your level. Um, so that's, that's, again, this is good education um, going forward as we go into the future with the MDM becoming the main, the main quality. Yeah, good. Excellent. Well, so we have another question here. This one comes from Christine, um, and it's a little bit on the history. It states, if the documentation states, quote, no PFSH, end quote, so no past family social history, is that statement, is that applicable on a new patient or consult visit? Lori, let's start with you. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's not up to us to determine if it's medically necessary. So um, I'm not sure what she means by the term applicable. Is she meaning that it's medically necessary for the doctor to document, or is she meaning in order to count it, like yeah. a key component? Yeah, so, let's take it that way. Um, what if, can you count it if they state that? So uh, some, some Medicare carriers say no because they need to get it. They have to tell us why they at least tried to get it. So, for instance, in family history, a lot of carriers will say, if you document family history non-contributory, that doesn't count because what is it? Why is it non-contributory, you know? Okay. Um, but if they're just saying they're not getting it, we need to know why. And if I don't at least have an indication as to why, if, if the HPI doesn't say something along the lines of, like, the patient has severe dementia or um, right. the patient is adopted, for example, um, I would allow that, but I would not allow, I would not count it if I didn't have a very good reason as to why they didn't get it. Gotcha. Stephanie, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I worked for a major EMR vendor for a very long time, and looking at a lot of these notes that are coming from different EMR systems, when I see that, to me it looks like it's a default in the system. Gotcha. That, no, that past family social history just was not obtained. And it's a, it's a template. The, their right. output statements, their medical record note, which is a, a computer output document, is just saying that wasn't done. So when I look at those statements, that's that's what I see. And piggybacking off of what Lori said, yeah, you've got to look at why was was that work not done. Gotcha. Really good good insights. Um, we're kind of getting towards the end of our time here. I want to give each of you just a moment if you have any last minute thoughts or comments. But uh, as as you're thinking about what if you have anything to say. You know, this is uh, Ask Me Anything. This kind of episode is, I think, something that we're probably going to continue in the future and uh, make it a regular type of uh, episode and have it recur um, because these questions will continue to come in. And we know that because you get them all the time, right? But right. It, it's good to actually set aside some time and actually kind of formally think, okay, here's the question. Here's how we'd answer that. So for those of you who are listening, keep your eyes open for other invitations, emails that will come to uh, solicit your questions. Um, and please submit them, and then we can we can choose questions and have them on, on, on the uh, episode. So, uh, Steph, anything last-minute thoughts or questions, comments no, you'd like No, just to? want to thank you for inviting myself and Lori to come. This was a lot of fun, and looking forward to those other questions that are going to come in. Yeah, keep them coming. Lori, any last-minute thoughts or comments? No, not at all. Just second what Stephanie said. We really do want to help our, our members out there get the best of the best. So that's what we're here for. Great. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Till next time.
Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.